We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the latest edition of the Roto-Wire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here, as always, with Alex Barutha. Alex, we are, I believe by my calculation, exactly three weeks away from opening night of the NBA season, which we still do not have an actual schedule for the NBA season. Uh, The league will be releasing the schedule in two parts. Uh, Again, the the season starts in three weeks. We do not know uh, even who is playing on opening night at this point, uh, but I think we have a pretty good idea uh, based on uh, you know where the certain stars reside and, and how these games tend to work. But uh, the news is starting to trickle in uh, as some teams you know did a, a kind of soft opening of training camp on Tuesday, uh, essentially a remote media day uh, where you know, we, we got updates on guys like Will Barton and Marvin Bagley, you know guys who you just haven't heard from at all since they were dealing with injuries uh, months ago. Uh, so it was good to check in on, on some of that and the news 
uh, of course, will continue to flow in uh, over these next three weeks. But I, I thought, personally, the biggest news of the day, Terry Stocks just came out and said it. Carmelo Anthony is going to come off the bench behind Derek Jones Jr., of all people, to begin the season in Portland. That's uh, that's that's a bold move. I was surprised when it ended up being Derek Jones, although it seems like Zach Collins isn't going to be ready for a while. Yeah. So maybe this is kind of like a, a Derek Jones placeholder until Zach Collins is back, just so they don't have to eventually yank the starting job from Carmelo. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. I think it's kind of a like, hey, we're giving you three weeks to mentally prepare for this. You know, like because yeah. most coaches, I think, would say. You know, we'll see how they look out there. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll take the decision down to the wire. Like this, this was a firm, like, look, man, it might be over. Um, we're gonna need you to to take some time to to accept this decision. But uh, it's surprising. I mean, I like I said to you off air, I I thought like this was such a big deal at least last year and and certainly the year before to Mello to be in the starting lineup, and everything kind of broke right for him to do so for most of the year in Portland. I feel like there were there were other places where he maybe could have signed and had a better chance to start, like Charlotte. For example, you know, there are a few teams that have these kind of massive holes uh, on the wing and, and Melo conceivably could have filled them. But uh, I mean, we're, we're half joking, obviously, but Melo's going to be a, a relatively important depth piece for a Blazers team that that made a really nice trade in getting Robert Covington. Uh, I, I like the addition of Derek Jones, who uh, it feels like in Miami has always been like one guy away from being in the rotation. You know, just when you think it's going to happen, they trade for Iguodala or they get Jay Crowder um, and it, it just never really worked out for him. But you know, I mean, for a guy who can give you 15 to 20 minutes, um, you know, I, I think the Portland bench is, is still shaky, but at least a little bit improved. Yeah, and I, I think this makes sense, too, because in the starting lineup, you already have Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic, who are going to do most of the scoring. I mean, those guys could combine for 60 a night, right? right. So I think... Well, then then, then Melo's 30. All of a sudden, you're at 90. I think I think they I think Coach Stotts just wanted like more defense, right? You have Covington and Derek Jones on the wing, that does a lot. And then off your bench, I guess you have Mello, Rodney Hood, um, Angus Cantor, and a very interesting bench, but one that can like definitely put points up at least. No, for sure. Um, do you want to continue and just do 55 minutes of Blazers talk, or, or get into some other news? You know, Anthony Simons. Maybe this is the year. <laughs> All right, I'm cutting it off right there. Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Bogut retired. Uh, this was on Monday. Uh, I, I believe he announced it on uh, the Rogue Bogues podcast hosted mm. by Andrew Bogut. Um, but that news circulated, of course, very quickly. Number one overall pick in 2005, NBA champion with the Warriors uh, in 2015, their first title uh, of that era. Kind of a strange career. Uh, one of those guys who went number one overall, um, you know, doesn't necessarily have the resume of the guy you would hope to take at number one, but at the same time, he he made a third team All NBA. Um, you know, may have had a good chance to to make another All NBA team, or you know, at least be a, a an All Star. Had he not had that that gruesome elbow injury that kind of ended up changing the course of his career and you know turning him into yeah, it, it happened a little bit later on, and he was an older prospect coming in, but it, it never really felt like he returned to being you know the versatile kind of you know athletic type of player that he was, at least for his body style uh, after that injury, but. All in all, I, I mean, a successful career. Again, not the, you know, should the Bucks have taken Chris Paul over Andrew Bogut with the number one pick in 2005? Some people would say that they should. Um, but but all in all, a, a pretty strong career for Andrew Bogut in what was a pretty strange draft looking back at that one. Yeah, I mean, as a, I mean, as a Bucks fan, I enjoyed, like, watching him. He was fun to watch, right? He was, mm -hmm. I mean, in a, 
in a pretty rough era, he was almost an all-star some of those years. Like the only thing that was really stopping him was basically Dwight Howard being there. <laughs> um but you know i mean i one, think jamal mcglore made an all-star team one of those years so let's not be too kind well the bucks also had jamal mcglore at one point they sure did um but yeah bogut you know like in his prime basically 15 and 11 with uh two and a half blocks 51 percent shooting like he was good and like you mentioned a great kind of career turnaround like there's not always a ton of stories of guys like having a severe injury and then accepting like a role of like 20 minutes or 15 minutes and just kind of being a shell of themselves um, and he changed his game a ton, right? He became mostly a distributor um, and only scored on like lob touches around the basket. So, um, a, yeah, a really interesting career. And I, I think you're right in calling it successful, ultimately. Where does Andrew Bogut go now? If he's if that version of, you know, Andrew Bogut coming out of Utah is in the 2020 NBA draft, like, is he even a first round pick? Um, I think someone would probably use a late first on him because they would see like, you know, he has potential for, I mean, he led the league in blocks. Right. And if you saw that potential, those guys will go in the first round. If a team thinks there's a center who can lead the league in blocks, um, you know, so I, I think he would have gone first round. So if you look at that, that Oh five draft class, Bogut is eighth in career win shares and he is seventh in career VORP. So the guys ahead of him are Chris Paul, Darren Williams, Lou Williams, David Lee, Danny Granger. Not a bad pick. I mean, not a great draft, given, but, uh, you know, if, if you're not going to take Chris Paul or Darren Williams, like there's not like this massive gap between Lou Williams and Andrew Bogut, you know, the careers that they've had overall. Right. And if, if Bogut would have stayed healthy, then it would be a lot closer than that. Like he probably would end up, I mean, I don't, I don't have the numbers. I don't know. I can't tell you, I can't calculate VORP in my head, but if he, <laughs> he could have yeah, had a better career. Could <laughs> Could have had a better career than Lou Williams, maybe. I mean, if you talk about potential playoffs, stuff like that, like, I don't know. I, I cannot wait to write up the description for this podcast. Like, who would you rather have, Lou Williams or Andrew Bogut? Or the hell career. Andrew Bogut. <laughs> uh, in other news, Victor Oladipo uh, today denied wanting to leave the Indiana Pacers. Uh, put up a pretty vehement denial, uh, almost comically, I thought, because this is one of those situations where, like, he, he, like, didn't say anything for so long that it was in my opinion, pretty obvious that there was at least some level of discontent. And he he just seemed baffled. He couldn't believe he couldn't believe that people thought he wanted out of Indiana. Uh, but I, I thought more importantly, he said he feels way better than he did. He said night and day uh, compared to the end of the bubble, which, you know, end of the first round of the playoffs for the Pacers wasn't that long ago. That's pretty encouraging, you know, for fantasy players, pretty encouraging. If you're a Pacers fan, you know, I, I think they're going to be one of the more difficult teams to evaluate because, I think we went into the offseason thinking like, all right, Miles Turner, he might be gone. Victor Oladipo, he's almost certainly gone. Um, you know, you got Jeremy Lamb coming off of the, the the knee injury that ended his season. TJ Warren, who knows what to expect. Um, you know, all those guys are are now back. And they're, they're kind of running it back with a team that was underratedly pretty solid. And if, if Victor Oladipo can be, you know, 85% of what he was, you know, when he was an all-NBA player a few years ago, I know we've said that each of the last two years, but but if if it does happen, um, you know I think Indiana could could certainly be in the mix for for not only a playoff spot, but I mean maybe a second round bid if if it comes to that. Well, I think so because I think Boston got worse and I think Toronto got worse and Miami basically stood stayed the same, Philly basically stayed the same. So yeah, I mean Indiana could be. I don't want to say they'll end up being like a two or a three seed, but considering every, most teams around them got worse or most teams above them got worse. 
Um, they could make some noise. Yeah, if Oladipo is his former self, um, and they they just make things click. Like Brogdon also missed a ton of time last year too. Um, you know, we t- like Turner needs to take like a step forward. I think um, also, but he might not have to if Oladipo plays well. But yeah, they're in a good spot. They basically right. did nothing this off season, but that that's okay. Right, and I mean, last year they got what like 19 games out of Oladipo, and he was terrible for like 15 of those. Like you said, Brogdon missed time, and and chances are that happens again. Turner has kind of been the same player since he came into the league; hasn't really improved. Uh, I mean, other than Sabonis taking a big step forward and and TJ Warren having that like godlike three weeks, you know, it wasn't like everything broke right for them, and they finished with a better regular season record than both Miami and Philadelphia, and mm-hmm. and part of that was Philly you know, kind of imploding and, and Miami, you know, clearly, you know, maybe, maybe not putting its foot on the gas during the regular season, but, but still, I mean, like you said, like the Oladipo being Oladipo would be massive for, for them because it's not like they really need that to happen to just be a, a decent above average team. Right. Because Sabonis made an all-star game. Brogdon was a fringe all-star. Obviously Oladipo's an all-star when he's healthy. And if you're in the East and you have three basically borderline all-stars, you're in as good of a spot as almost any other team in the conference. So you mentioned the Celtics got worse. And I think on paper, you're right. We'll see what they do with, I I believe Bobby Mark said it might be the largest trade exception ever created (laughs) uh, because it's the value of, uh, I think, Hayward's salary last year, which was like north of 30 million, right? So you have this massive trade exception uh, that you could absorb a player into. So that was huge for Boston, you know, turning that into a sign and trade. It took over a week for for all the machinations uh, to come to fruition there, but they get the trade exception. I, I think right away they're worse for sure, because you're, you're basically just pulling Gordon Hayward off of that roster and not replacing him with anything. But they do now have some flexibility as far as, you know, absorbing someone, whether it's, you know, later this season, whether it's next off season. Um, I think that you basically have like a full calendar year to use that trade exception. And, and I would expect Boston to be pretty aggressive uh, in pursuing someone to fill that. I think the bigger concern in the short term is, you know, the Jeff Teague addition was nice. You know, you lose Brad Wanamaker, uh, Tristan Thompson. Okay. Adding some depth at center. They didn't really beef up the bench. I think to the level uh, that Celtics fans would have hoped. And then, you know, now we, we learned that Kemba Walker, won't be on the court until, you know, probably mid-January at the earliest. You know, teams are always pretty conservative with this. But for for Brad Stevens to come out and say, like, yeah, he's not even going to be doing on-court work until the first week of January, which is, a week, you know, at that point, you're over two weeks into the regular season. Um, you know, if he's just starting his on-court work on, say, January 7th, you know, it might not be until the end of January when, when Kemba Walker's actually on the floor. So, you know, I, I think, you know, Celtics fans, your, your biggest fear was, all these knee injuries or these knee issues, I should say, for Kemba last year, you know, kind of creeping into, you know, not only this season, but but maybe going forward on this max contract. And I mean, this is kind of worst case scenario so far. Yeah, I mean, I'm based on the wording and based on what we know about how teams handle this kind of a thing. I am expecting Kemba Walker to miss like a full month, pretty much, which at a shortened schedule could be 14 games or something like that. Right. Um, and yeah, they're back up. I mean, if Jeff Teague is starting, then their backup point guard is either Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, Carson Edwards. That's not great. Um, Aaron Neesmith's going to play real minutes. Tyson Thompson, that's fine. But it's still one of the worst, like, center rotations in the league, um, for a te- for, at least for a playoff team. Um, the depth is rough. And I think 
I, I understand why they let Hayward go. They didn't want to pay him at that number, but he's a really versatile player who could play like three positions and losing that definitely hurts um, in the short term. And I'm sure they'll figure it out, but mm-hmm. I think the Celtics will be looking towards the playoffs this year. Like they'll definitely be in the playoffs, but I think their regular season might, I don't think it's going to be great would be my guess. Yeah, I, I mean, they have such a high floor just because yeah. Jason Tatum is turning into one of the best players in the league. And, and Jalen Brown, uh, I think, you know, we'll talk about most improved player odds later. But, uh, you know, James and I talked last week about him being a great candidate for that. Um, you know, the pieces are in place, but I, I think you made a good point where, you know, on, on paper, like the top seven or eight guys are fine. You know, I, I thought Thompson was a little bit redundant because you have Robert Williams, you kept Tice. Um, to add another guy into that mix, I'm not sure that really solves any of the problems that you had last year. But the depth is fine. The problem is when you lose one of those guys, all of a sudden you start scrambling. And when it's your starting point guard, you know, you said, oh, you have Marcus Smart to back him up. Well, Marcus Smart is starting a shooting guard. So if Marcus <laughs> yeah. Smart's going to play point guard, then who's playing shooting guard? And all of a sudden, like, it, it's great to have Jeff T. Like, he's probably overqualified to be a backup point guard. If he's starting, that's fine. But, you know, at this point, he's also probably a little underqualified to be a starter on a really good playoff team. So, you know, like you said, once you get beyond Teague, the depth is is pretty scary. I mean, I, I think there's a lot to like with with someone like Peyton Pritchard, but you know, I mean, he's a just your consummate college point guard, and probably not a guy that you want to have to play 20, 25 minutes a night as a rookie. You know, in in his first NBA season, so there there's going to be some issues I think early on for Boston, but uh, at the end of the day, as you mentioned, I mean, they're they're a team that's firmly in playoff mode, and I think as an overarching theme of this season we're going to see more teams play it out that way. Um, you know, kind of be willing to, you know, lose a seed or two along the way, be willing to, you know, drop three games in a row, you know, and, and prioritize rest. Uh, because some of these teams, you know, I think the Lakers will be in that boat. I think the Clippers, uh, Boston, I, I could see Miami uh, doing that. I, I think these teams, especially if fans aren't going to be in the, re- the arenas, I, I think as we saw in the bubble, there's just not going to be that much of an advantage, you know, to having the three seed versus the six seed. Um, and I, I think we're going to see a, a really increased priority on, on making sure you're as healthy and fresh as possible for the playoffs. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, I mean, I guess we'll see, you know, how well, how well these, you know, late first and second round picks are going to turn out for Boston. Like they, you know, Brad Stevens has kind of been like toying with playing semi Ojale more, especially against like Giannis and those kinds of matchups. Grant, Grant Williams is someone who I liked last year, didn't see a ton of playing time as a rookie. We're just going to, I mean, these guys are basically going to get thrown into the fire. And if they play well, that's great. But I don't think we should expect it. So I mentioned at the top that we got some good news on Marvin Bagley. He's going to be ready to go. Um, I mean, we'll see what that equates to. I think he played, what, 19 games, 15 games last year. It feels like forever since we've actually seen him play. We thought we were going to see him in the bubble. And then he immediately gets hurt when practice starts there. Um, there's a, a, a pretty great, great quote from Luke Walton, uh, not even the quote itself, but just like the context where he was asked straight up, like, is Buddy Heald going to start at shooting guard? Like the obvious starter at shooting guard. And he just gave the typical, like, well, you know, we'll see. You know, we got some options. Uh, we like our options. I, I don't know. If it's not Buddy Heald, who is it, who's it going to be? I mean, is it going to be Tyrese Halliburton? Do they throw him in right away? Because if it's not one of those two guys, then you're looking at Corey Joseph or Kyle Guy, you know, basically G-leaguers. It was just bizarre. I mean, not that not that you have to fully commit to a starting five on the first day of camp, but there's just not, you know, Bogdanovich is gone. There's just not really another clear option. No, I mean, I, I this was, again, for me, like another signal that 
like they let Bogdanovich walk. Luke Walton doesn't like Buddy Heald that much. They must really love Halliburton, right? Like as a franchise. Like I know he slipped to them, and everyone had um, has amazing things to say about Halliburton. He's versatile, but like they must really like him. I mean, I agree, but at the same time, I, 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 if you really liked him that much, like I'm surprised they wouldn't have traded up to seven or eight or nine or whatever to get him. Like it, we're still yet to get like a great explanation for why he slid. Somebody who is, you know, conceivably such a safe prospect. Um, you know, it, it was great for them to land Halbert, but it, I can't imagine that they went into draft night thinking they were going to get him. I probably not. Um, yeah, I mean, if he'll, if he'll doesn't start, then. I don't know. I mean, every team in the league would like try to trade for Buddy Heald, right? Like he is the yes. perfect like just gunner from three, someone who's like more versatile than, you know, like Joe Harris or Bertans or something like that. Like someone who could be your number your number four kind of on a team or maybe, a, you know, a number three if your first two are great. So, I mean, I hope he just gets into a situation where he can just play 30 minutes a game, right? Because it, it doesn't right. I know he's not great at defense. But you got you got to find close to 30 minutes a game for him. He's he's you know, he's yeah. still he's in his prime right now. I, I am. I'm almost glad that this situation is disintegrating because I want to see him somewhere else. You know, <laughs> I, I think he's kind of going to waste in in Sacramento. I mean, I, I don't yeah. think they're a team that's going to push for the playoffs this year, although they did just add Hassan Whiteside. So we'll, we'll see what that means. But I would like to see him in like an overqualified six man role. You know, I, I don't want him to be the sixth man on a team that he should be starting for, but I would like to see him be, you know, either like the fourth or fifth shop, fifth option on a really good team or, you know, this, you know, the, the sixth man for like the Lakers or a team like the Celtics, you know, whoever it might be. I, I think he would be he I mean, he, he has a chance to be like the biggest addition uh, at the at the trade deadline, whenever that will be. Yeah. Like if he was at shooting guard for the Nuggets instead of Gary Harris or if he was in the Luke Kennard spot for the Clippers. Oh, yeah. Um. Or something like that. Like, that would be great. Right. And it's a situation where, at least on the outside, it it doesn't seem like he wants to be there. It doesn't really seem like they want him there. So you're not going to have to pay this exorbitant price, you would think, to to get your hands on him. You wouldn't think so, but I still think every team in the league is going to try to bid for him. So it, it, I think the cost will still be relatively high. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by BetMGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with Rotowire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month Rotowire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website, and once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Okay, so we're going to go off script here for a second because I just saw this across Twitter. Um, Sam Amico has a note that the Warriors uh, reached out to the Rockets about James Harden. What would that deal look like? 
Uh, oh, you think they would give up Wiseman and like Wiggins? I think it has to be Wiseman. I think that's a starting point. I think Wiseman, Wiggins, is, Wiggins has to be included for salary. Or, yeah. or maybe Oubre, but I would assume Wiggins. Wiseman, Wiggins. I don't know if you'd put Oubre in it. I get like you. I you'd probably have to, right? Like if you were if you were the Rockets, you wouldn't trade. You would you wouldn't trade Harden for Wiseman and Wiggins straight up. God, you'd no. probably want no. You'd want picks. You'd want Oubre probably. Um, the Warriors just like don't have a lot, and no, they're not, they really don't. Yeah. But what they do have is the Minnesota pick next year. Oh, I forgot and about that. I think that I think that is the the trump card in this. And you know, could it could it trump other offers from other teams that have more, you know, physical pieces? Maybe not. But I think that's what you have to be putting on the table if you're trying to get someone, you know, the caliber of James Harden. I'm not sure I want to see James Harden play with Steph Curry. For the record, I mean, we 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 we've seen him now play with Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. It wasn't a whole lot of fun. I I think Curry would be more fun just because he you know has that same shooting ability and you know obviously Westbrook is was just such a clash in style. Um, but I, I don't I don't know if I want to see this happen. Not that it's going to happen. I just I, I don't I don't love the idea. I think I agree with you sort of. Like I would I want to see Steph Curry handle the ball again and take on a bigger role. But he has injury concerns himself. He's 32. I think he he would make more sense next to Harden than Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook did. Because Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook are ball dominant. And if you have Harden doing his thing, ISO, maybe even some pick and roll, right, with Draymond, stuff like that. And you can have Curry run around with his off-ball movement. I mean, the gravity that Harden creates... Could create like a, I mean, Curry can run off ball. It would be interesting. I think it'd be a better fit than his than Harden's last two mm. stops. But um, I just I think mean, that's that's just who Steph Curry is. Like he's a great. Who is he not a good fit with? You know? Yeah. Well, I think yeah, it says too. more about the limitations of Westbrook and Paul. I I think I think to some extent it's weird because this the Warriors have just been all about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, right? And if you bring Harden in. He kind of Harden's a, a team hijacker, right? Wherever yeah. he goes, he kind of hijacks the offense. He hijacks the game plan, and maybe he wouldn't if he was on Golden State, and maybe Steve Kerr would drill into him. I mean, he to some extent, Kevin Durant became a better team player, even though he wasn't nearly as selfish as Harden. If there's one team where maybe Harden would change his style of play to win, it would probably be Golden State. Um, it would just feel so wrong, you know, it like, would feel Durant, wrong. I Durant agree. joined the Warriors, you know, obviously rubbed a lot of people, myself included the wrong way, but <laughs> it's not like they were really rivals. Like, yeah, they, they had, they had just played in the West finals the year before, but you know, I, I would, I would say if the Warriors or if Steph Curry, like has a true rival, maybe other than LeBron it's probably Harden. And obviously it's been very one-sided, but it's almost been like, you know, it's just kind of been like a big brother, little brother, you know, where it's like, all right, you're going to try your little one-on-one style to beat us. We're going to beat you because we're the superior team. Harden then joining that would just feel so wrong. Like that would, that would be like uh, on another level from Durant. I, I don't think people would get on Harden like they did Durant, but it would just, from like a stylistic perspective, it would be so strange. It would be, but again, like the, I mean, the Warriors title window is very is closing very fast at this point with Curry's age and Thompson's now he's gonna Thompson's gonna miss a second straight season 
Um, Draymond's older. We still haven't even seen if Draymond's if last year from Draymond was a fluke or if that's just who he is now. And so if your title window really is that narrow and you can get James Harden as much as it, it's a high risk, high reward move. Right. So I wouldn't be shocked if they did it based on that. And I do think my final point on this is it's just so much more acceptable now to make a move like that compared to even five, 10 and certainly like 20 years ago. You know, I I think if, if like Jordan's bulls could have had an opportunity to get Isaiah Thomas, I think they wouldn't have even pursued it on principle. Right. You know, like it just wouldn't, you'd just be like, no, we're not, I'm not playing with that guy. Like the guy I've just been going up against for the last decade, no way. And I think now, you know, like the, the whole, like I'm on this team and this team is our rival. So I can't play for them. Like, I just, I don't really think that exists anymore. Uh, no, not, not for the vast majority of the league. So you mentioned Draymond Green. Uh, he's on my list of players I want to discuss. We we updated our preseason projections today. Uh, we had an initial set go up a couple weeks ago, and now these are updated uh, post-free agency, post-draft. Um, you know, a lot of the things we mentioned earlier today with, with certain guys missing time to begin the year, all that has been updated. And, and Draymond Green is on my list of players who... Uh, yeah, I don't really have a great name for this list. It was like, guys, I just, I don't, I don't know if we've ranked correctly. I don't know. Some of them, we might be too high. Some we might be, might be a little too low. Um, Draymond's in such a unique position because he was kind of the lone healthy piece of the real Warriors last season. And given that he was basically surrounded by the Santa Cruz Warriors, we're not really sure if he's completely washed up or, you know, could be rejuvenated, um, you know, by, by having Steph Curry back and certainly having Clay Thompson would have helped. My belief is that he's still he has another like good couple years in him. Does that mean he's ever going to go back to shooting like 38% from three like he did at his peak? I, I think that part of his game is probably gone, but I, I still think he can be, you know, if you're talking fantasy, you know, I think we have him ranked like in the mid 60s. I, I think that's fairly realistic. I think so. Yeah. Um, oh, excuse me. We have him at 49 right now. Well, I mean, his stats. I usually translate very well to fantasy because of the steals and blocks. Right. And I think I I'm worried about his shooting, um, especially next to James Wiseman. Uh, But I think, I think because they have Wiseman now that Kerr will probably encourage Raymond to shoot more threes just for better spacing. So I think it's going to kind of be like, he's, he's, I think he's just going to shoot a ton and we'll see if it pans out or not. Um, I'm not sure I'd bank on that. I hope that's not the route they take, but I, I, I mean, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think you could have a bounce back. I mean, I was really hopeful for him last year. I mean, last year was such like a, an anomaly for so many reasons for the Warriors. And I can't blame Draymond Green if he was out there playing at like 75%, like, you know, like effort almost every single game. Um, so I, if, I mean, he, he shot 39% from the field last year. That can't continue. That's awful. Um, so I think him bouncing back to like, you know, somewhere like, or yeah, around the 50 range makes sense. I would probably draft him around that range. I think that's a fine, like place to like median place to draft him, I guess. All right. What about Michael Porter Jr. Who we have at 61. And I feel like the ranking to me is, is a little bit high, but then when you look at the projected numbers, we have him at about 17 points, nine rebounds, uh, one and a half assists and about 1.7 steals and blocks like that to me seems realistic, but that putting him at 61 um, to me seems a little high. How, how do you feel about that? Well, they need him. 
because losing Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee was a huge hit to their front line. So Millsap is going to have to play a ton of backup center, I think, unless Bull Bull pans out or their rookie, whose name I'm forgetting, pans out. Um, and he, so Porter is going to play. Um, I think what could end up driving down his fantasy rank would just be his games played. Right. We have him at 66 games out of 72 played. His injury history is obviously one of the like the reason he slipped was because he has teams got a hold of his his medicals and were like, I'm not drafting that guy, um, even with all of his upside. So uh-huh. I think if you're drafting him, I would if I was drafting him, I would be like elated with 66 games. Personally, I would draft him assuming he misses like 15, um, maybe yeah. 20. So I think I think that's kind of the difference. And it's hard to it's hard to show that in the ranks all the time because of the wild variance. Right. Yeah. And I should say, like, when we go through these, we're, we're generally pretty favorable. You know, like, even yeah. though in my mind, I think Blake Griffin's going to play like 33 games this year. We're not going to project a guy for 33 games. You know, we, we, we're, we factor it in to some degree. Like, I think we have Kyrie at like 58 or 59. He could very well miss more than that. But, you know, if, if you project a guy to miss 25 games, I, I don't think that ultimately accomplishes the task of, of, of creating projections in the first place. I will say with Porter, like if he misses time, it's going to be something really serious. You know, it's like if he re-aggravates the back injury, right. I feel like he's either going to like miss the whole year or not miss time at all. Because like, he, it's not like they've really been, they've been conservative, I guess, with his fix. You know, he, he, except for the playoffs, you know, he would rarely play more than like 25 minutes. But it's not like he was really being rested on back-to-backs. Like once he came back, he's he's pretty much been healthy and and had the training wheels off. Yeah, and I think I think projecting him for 17 and 9 makes sense. I mean, he played almost 1,000 minutes last year, which is a pretty good sample, and averaged, you know, 20 and 10 per 36, shot 50, 40, 83. Um, I mean, he was awesome. And it's just, you know, the defense is an issue, but they, they're going to need him out there this year. They just lost. They lost too much talent on the front line. Right, and ultimately, I think that's a good thing. I was surprised they brought back Paul Millsap, um, but I, I think you— they basically have no excuse but to throw him out there for 30 minutes a night anymore. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Next on my list, kind of a similar situation, Christian Wood. Uh, I, I thought this was one of the better value signings, whether James Harden and Russell Westbrook are on the roster in a month or three months or not. Um, I thought for the money that they threw at Christian Wood, this was a good deal for the Houston Rockets. We have Wood at 51, and we should say these are you know eight category, you know fairly standard league rankings. Um, 67 games, about 31 minutes a game, 19 points, nine rebounds, uh, 1.4 assists, 1.2 blocks. So I mean, pretty similar numbers ultimately to Michael Porter. I, I think there's maybe a little more defensive upside, uh, with, with Christian Wood. And I think maybe a little more rebounding upside. I mean, Porter's a, a very, very good rebounder, uh, but Wood has slightly better size and, you know, a little bit more filled out physically. Yeah. He's a more, I mean, he's a more versatile player, right? Like better yeah, he's he's a he's a better rebounder overall. Can play some defense. Not as good of a three point shooter. I mean, they play different positions essentially, because Wood's kind of a center slash power forward. Porter's a wing. But yeah, I mean, Christian Wood, like you mentioned, great opportunity. Um, new coach in Houston, but they're still going to play five out here. They're just abandoning kind of the pure small ball, bringing in Wood. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, the only other scorer on this team besides Harden and Westbrook is Eric Gordon, who has dealt with plenty of injury issues. He was injured like all of last year, basically. 
And he's the only guy that's really scoring more than 15 points a game consistently for the Rockets. And so you put Christian Wood in the situation, and I think he does have the upside to score 15 to 20 points a night mm-hmm. in an offense that he fits in perfectly with. He can run the floor. Um, he can hit threes. He can work inside, too. They, the Hargan pick and roll can come back to some extent, right? We saw that basically go away when they went complete small ball with more of a traditional coach. You might see Wood kind of in that Capella mm-hmm. uh, role catching a lot of lobs, so his field goal percentage should stay high, too. Yeah, exactly. I, I almost think he's better off if those guys stick around. Like, I think there's a case to be made that if they if they were to flip Harden for like young pieces, that Christian Wood, you know, is maybe like all of a sudden the number one guy for Houston. But I, I think he could be like a super Capella in that role and, and is going to be really good at it. Um, John Morant, uh, we have him at 47 in our rankings. Uh, obviously, an awesome rookie year. I think the key for him is, you know, one more three point volume. You know, he he wasn't a terrible three point shooter. I think there were some concerns coming in uh, about how that would translate. But I mean, 48% from the field overall as a rookie was fantastic. 33.5% from three. Uh, again, for a guy with question marks, I thought that was really good. But he only took 2.7 per game. I, I think, you know, when he's at his peak, whether that's, you know, two, three years or four, five years from now, you probably want him taking at least double that. Um, I, I'm just wondering how willing he's going to be to, to increase that number right away. Yeah. I mean, his, the, the, the Grizzlies are going to be without Jaron Jackson for a while too. Right. And that's going to put mm-hmm. even more pressure on John Morant to score the ball. They don't really have a ton of other options. Like Dylan Brooks is going to shoot a lot, right? He's the only a other lot. guy a lot. He's going to shoot the ball. Um, Valen Shunas, he'll take up some post possessions. He can hit threes. You know, obviously Brandon Clark is good, but like John Morant is really the only guy in this team. That is going to create offense for himself as a guard or a wing and get other people involved. So, I mean, he's, he's for a monster year. The question is, can he stay efficient? And is he going to hit threes? And his defensive stats weren't great last year either. 0.9 steals, mm-hmm. um, less than half a block. So he has some concerns. But if you're talking about a guy whose shot attempts should be sky high, his assists are already good. I mean, he'll he'll have a good year. And and he was kind of hesitant to, you know, really take on some of those. Like, Jared Jackson missed a lot of time last year, and they were kind of in the same boat that they're going to be starting this year. And it's not like John Moran was like, all right, I'm just going to take 30 shots. Like, he, he, you know, for as much of, like, a highlight player as he is, he's still, like, a pass-first point guard. And yeah. I think they would almost be better off. You know, like, I I think you and I are in agreement that, especially with Jackson out to begin the year, Memphis could struggle. Uh, they could they could kind of take a step back and, and maybe not – have a great chance to make the playoffs this year. If if the trade-off there is John Moran, you know, is almost forced to, you know, control things a little bit more and take more shots and get more comfortable being the guy. I don't think that's necessarily the worst trade-off. No, I mean, his development, I think takes priority. Oh yeah. Right. I mean, he looks like he could be one of the best guards in the NBA sooner than later. Mm-hmm. So you want him out there trying to work on his skills, hit his threes, get to the free throw line more. I just looked at his games where he took at least 20 shots. Um, it's like eight games. He only got to the free throw line 4.1 times per game in those games. So that's something, too, that he, could, yeah. he should probably work on because he's a great free throw shooter. He just needs to get there. Well, he, he goes to goes to the rim a ton. I mean, I don't, maybe that's just something where you need to go into contact instead of trying to go over or around it. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's really skinny, <laughs> so he'll, he bounces off people. And if people don't respect your three-point shot, then they're going to they're going to be in position. You're not going to be able to catch someone out of position yeah. very easily. There's going to be no help defense, stuff like that. So this guy's not on my list, but I mean, is Brandon Clark like the most obvious sleeper 
Is he even a sleeper at this point? I I would classify him as a sleeper because I don't think the average person, the average fan is, or the average NBA fan knows who Brandon Clark is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you're in a fantasy draft with a lot of other people who know, who play fantasy basketball, they're going to know. But your casual NBA fan, I think they have no idea who Brandon Clark is. Mm-hmm. So I think I think he's a sleeper. Um, I mean, 22 minutes a game, he averaged 12 and six last year. He's going to be in a he's going to be in a great spot this year. Excuse me. All right. So what about Zion Williamson? We have him down at 79. I feel like that number just seems really low based on his reputation. We've talked about this over and over. You know, like we I, we're being pretty generous, I think, to Zion. You know, we have him at almost 26 points a game, eight rebounds, almost three assists. That's up quite a bit from last year. Uh, one and a half steals and blocks. For one, the free throw percentage drags him down a ton. You know, he was a, a terrible free throw shooter last year. Uh, we, we have him bumped up to about 67%, but for a guy who takes a ton, that's really damaging. And we also don't really think he's going to take a lot of threes. You know, he, he took a bunch in his first game and then I think took only like two or three more the rest of the year and missed them all. You know, based on what we saw uh, last time we saw Zion Williamson, he was out of shape. He still looked partially injured. He was shut down early. Like there's not like a ton of momentum. You know, we haven't, we haven't really even heard anything about him over these last few months. Um, there's not like a lot of positive momentum for a guy who was, you know, the lock of all locks this time last year. One of the most hyped rookies in NBA history. And we've heard mm-hmm. nothing from him nothing. during this off season. It's a little weird. Um, but yeah, 79 seems low. We have him missing 14 games, which I think is appropriate given his health, his injury history, mm-hmm. the shortened season. But yeah, this was something we looked at at the end of last year and we're like, listen, like Zion's playing amazing. It's just not his fantasy stats are not, it's not great. Like he, his free throw percentage, this is like Giannis too. Giannis mm-hmm. finished like 14th in fantasy last year because his free throw percentage was terrible and he took like 10 a game. Um, and this is going to happen to Zion as well because he he didn't prove he was a good defender last year. In fact, when I watched him, he looked awful. He wasn't really a playmaker, which was something our college people thought he would he could get maybe like three or four assists a game. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that, especially when you have Lonzo and Ingram on the team. Um and I don't think he's going to shoot threes. His form is one of the worst I've ever seen. It's a horrible shot form. It's he doesn't jump his elbows way out. It's flat. Like, um, so I think 79 is fine. People are going to draft him way higher than that. I know it, no matter what the projections say. But um, I think this is around the range that he should be drafted. Yeah, I'll be curious what you know. We don't we don't have updated ADP data yet. Um, I know we we were previously displaying last year's, but we we have that white for now. I think his ADP could be like 30 spots higher than that, if not more. Yeah, I think people will take him in the third round. Like, I, I think that's where he'll go. But I think you're not getting a good return on your investment at all doing that. No, not at all. All right. Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Been in some very strange situations to begin his career. Uh, two very, very different situations, starting with the Clippers and then last year in OKC. He at least has the benefit of remaining with the same team, but entirely new coaching staff, basically an entirely new roster around him. Um, I I do think the Thunder are going to be a very bad team. I think they're okay with that. I also think he has the potential to be the best, like good stats, bad team guy in the league. And weirdly, I think like the Thunder moving on from Kelly Oubre for virtually nothing. I think that helps SGA because I think Oubre had a chance to, to take a lot of shots and, you know, I don't think SGA, you know, we talked about Morant. They're they're similar in that way where they, they're not guys that want to go out and take 30 shots, even if they have to. Um, but he's not going to have much of a choice. You know, a lot of the young players that OKC has in place are, 
you know, project type of players. When you talk about someone like Pokashevsky, um, or they're they're like these defensive minded, you know, developing wings. You know, Darius Baisley and um, you know Lou Dort, guys like that. Like, there's not really like a an Anthony Simons type on this roster who is just going to go out there and be happy to gun and and try to develop. Like a lot of these guys are, they're young, but they just they don't profile as anything more than role players long term. So. You know, if, if there's one guy who's going to have no choice but to but to put up great numbers on a really bad team, I, I think it's him. And I, I guess I'm worried that it's like a little too obvious. Yeah, he's going to he's not even a I don't think you can qualify him as a sleeper. Um, I think he's going to just go very high in drafts early second round. Even maybe some people get aggressive, draft him in the late first round. Mm-hmm. I tried to look and see, like, what his numbers were last season when he was like the only guy on the court. Um, we have our on-off court stats at Rotowire. I took Chris Paul, Gallo, Dennis Schroeder off the court, and SGA only played 36 total minutes without those guys last year. And he 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 put up you know 24 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists per 36 in those 36, right? But um, I I don't think he'll average a triple double because <laughs> that's what those numbers indicate. But like he's going to play point guard for them. And that's something that last year, he only averaged three assists a game. And I think the biggest right. bump for him will probably be assists. Not that he has a ton of people to pass to that are going to be shot makers, but um, his upside is as high as any like mm-hmm. young players in the league in terms of like a second to third year jump or third to fourth or whatever it may be. And it's the NBA, no matter what, like they're going to score around a hundred points every yep. game. You know, they're going to grab 40 rebounds. They're going to have, you know, 15 to 25 assists. Like it, like I said, they're not going to be a good team, but even the worst teams that we've ever seen, you know, it's not like they average 30 points less than everybody else. Like they're, the numbers are going to be there. It's just going to be, you know, kind of unfamiliar names getting them. Um, I'm going to go off list again here since we're on this team. What are your thoughts on Al Horford? Oh God. Um, I would be scared. I would be scared to draft him. I'll, I'll put it that way. I would not want him on my team unless I got him at what I thought would be like an insane discount. Um, I'd be worried about him getting injured. I'd be worried about him just sitting every back to back for basically no other reason than just like tanking. Um, you know, um, I think when he plays, he has potential to put up big numbers. Um, if they play him like 30 to 35 minutes, which I'm not sure that will happen again. Mm -hmm. I think we have him ranked at 87th. I think that's perfectly fine. We have him 61 games, 28 minutes a game. Um, if you get him in the eighth round, that's fine. Right. But I would I would not want him on my teams, I don't think. The thing with Horford is I, I don't feel like watching him last year, it was like, all right, now, you know, he might not be on a good team, but now he can go get to work. You know, it was like he might just be washed up. You know, I don't I don't know that playing more minutes and having much worse teammates around him is all of a sudden going to help him. You know, like I I thought Philly on paper was such a good spot for him because he could play less minutes, he could be out there. Uh, and just kind of do what he does best at this point, which is step out and space the floor and, and also protect the rim. And I, I just, you know, with this Thunder team, he's such a misfit, you know, based on how old the rest of this roster is. Yeah, same with George Hill, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if, the thing is, if Horford went to a, like, kind of like a borderline eighth seed team, you could see them, you know, using him in a way that would, you know, up his usage a lot. They, like, need him. Like if he went to Charlotte or if he went to Orlando or something, I could see him playing better. But the fact that he's stuck with OKC on a team that is in the one of the deepest rebuilds we've ever seen, that does not bode well for him, I don't think. Mm-hmm. All right, I got two more guys. John Collins in Atlanta. Uh, our our esteemed colleague Ken Kreitz has uh, 
been on our case about where we have John Collins projected. And, and we did amend that with this newest update. Um, but he, he still ranks pretty high, you know, and I, I thought we were being uh, pretty aggressive initially. And, you know, we kind of backed off that a little bit with, with their moves in free agency. But he's still 16th overall, um, you know, based largely on the fact that he is one of the rare players that, you know, blocks more than a shot and a half per game and also can get you a three pointer and a half per game, super efficient from the field. Um, he's just a really good player. And I, I think being on the Hawks has kind of dampened his reputation nationally. Um, so it, I think with Collins, it's not really a question of his own ability. It's just when a team goes out in free agency and basically adds an entirely new team of veterans to add to the current team without making many subtractions, it's like, how, how much do we really factor that in? You know, for a, a player who's clearly ascending, um, you know, how, how much, how many minutes does he lose to guys like Gallinari and Capella? Uh, and maybe the bigger question is like, how many, how many shots does he lose to those guys? Right. I'm, I'm really interested to see what the sort of market correction is on him. It sounds like he's still going to start over Gallinari. I also think he, Collins will play backup center as well. So I think he'll still find himself into like 32 to 35 minutes a game. But Collins, every year he's been in the league, all three seasons, he's been top 20 in true shooting percentage. Last year, he was sixth in true shooting percentage. You don't just you don't just suddenly give that guy 26 minutes a game. He's 23 years old, one of the most promising uh, big guys in the league, even though he's kind of been like under the radar because Atlanta has been so bad. But I think he could still be a top 15 uh, fantasy player. Like he could still get 20 points, eight rebounds. Um, he can hit more threes. He hit 40% of his threes last year. Um, you know, I can I can see the rebounding dipping because of Capella. Um, and but I don't know. He, he's still going to be really good. They can't. They're they're still going to have to feature him, even if it's to trade him. You got to play him 30 minutes a game. Yeah, I I don't really understand the the trade talk around Collins. Like I, I guess it's just purely money related, but I I mean what what are the weaknesses? I guess you know, like I, he's not a great defender, but they're you know your point guard's also not a great defender. Maybe that's the issue. But like I, I feel like plenty of players with much bigger holes than him have been handed max contracts without any you know without any hesitation. Yeah, I mean, how many, almost no team in the league would see a guy averaging 22 and 10 at 22 years old with a right. top six true shooting percentage and be like, you know what? He's not a good defender, though. We can't pay this guy. I, if he wants a max, I can understand them not wanting to give him the max, but that, that's a tough trade to make if you're doing it. Like, that's a really tough situation to be in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to trade him. He's too good. He's too young. I, I agree. I just don't, I mean, it's not apples to apples, but like, Gordon Hayward, who's been terrible for two and a half years and, you know, it might never be the same because of an ankle injury, just got a second max at age what, 31. <laughs> like, what are we talking about here? And then like who, what team in the league would rather have Gordon Hayward than John Collins right now? I don't know. I just it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I feel like a lot of the moves that they made this offseason are to prepare them to maybe be without Collins. Yeah, I don't know. Weird. I think I, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm still high on him. Yeah, same here. On that note, Kevin Durant, our final player on the list. We have him at number eight in our rankings. I think that's just about right. I I am reading every little tidbit about Kevin Durant playing well in scrimmages that I can find. Uh, I I think he's going to have a huge year. I don't think he's going to be overly affected by the Achilles. My big concern is just how much time does he miss? I, I don't think he's necessarily going to like get re-injured. I just think they're rightfully going to be cautious and maybe not even because of load management, 
Um, I think it's just more they're like we talked about at the top. They're going to be one of those teams that nothing, nothing matters. They could be the two seed. They could be the four seed. They could be the seven seed. As long as they're in the playoffs and healthy, I think that's all the Nets care about. Um, and I think Durant has probably reached that, like, you know, LeBron point in his career where LeBron just stopped caring about the regular season and realized that it's all about titles and going balls to the walls and getting the two seed and finishing third in MVP voting doesn't really mean that much. Uh, so, so that's my worry with KD is that, you know, the Achilles is fine, but maybe he only plays like 57 games. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think you're high. I think you're more optimistic on Durant than me. Cause I, I wouldn't, I would not draft him higher than eighth. I'll put it that way. I don't, okay. I don't think I would do that. And I would, I'm still worried about how like, like guys, Clay Thompson was looking great. Right. And then he tore his Achilles. So like, I, like you can people people can say like Durant like I feel great these guys can feel great it's like they're not going to say anything else you know unless it's like they can't play if they're not going to be ready for opening night that's Mm -hmm. what you're going to hear but if they're going to be ready for opening night that you're going to hear I feel amazing I feel as good as I've ever felt so I I'm just worried that he's going to come out and like he'll still be good right but it Mm -hmm. it might not be 50 percent from the field it might be 46 it might not be 40% from three. It might be 36 or whatever. Um, he might only play 60 games, 55 games. Um, I'm just, I, ha- I, I, maybe I'm too much of a pessimist, but I, I'm not sure I would draft him in the first round still. I think there's, I think there's just other options that feel a lot safer to me. I know his upside's crazy. He's Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. No, fair enough. And I think this also speaks to how many great options there are at the top. I think in a lot of years, yeah you know, given the circumstances, like Kevin Durant might go fourth or fifth, but there's, there are just so many other options who are close enough and much safer. Um, that I, I don't think you're wrong in that opinion. Uh, I want to look at defensive player of the year odds, which came out this week on the DraftKings Sportsbook. It, it feels like it's the same names every year for this award. It's Gobert, Davis, and Giannis. And then, you know, the field of like out of IO, Embiid, Simmons, you know, Horford used to be a part of that list. Kawhi, um, but it, it's kind of just been like a three-man race between Gobert, Davis, and Giannis the last two or three years. Uh, obviously, Giannis won it last year. Gobert won it the, the couple years previous. Does that mean that it's now Davis's turn? He could win it. I, I don't think I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for him to win it. I think we we did a write-up last season of guys who are just some future bets, and I think I had Anthony Davis as someone who I picked um, that I thought had good odds. I don't think plus 275 is like great value um, for him to win defensive player of the year. So I'm not sure I would bet it, but he, he could, he could easily win it. Um, he, he racks up plenty of steel and block numbers. I think Adebayo might be the last person on this list that I'd, that I'd bet on at 10 to one. Embiid's always interesting. Games played is an issue. Ben Simmons at 25 to one, I think is solid value. Um, but the 76ers are probably have to, you know, like really improve as a team. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi, again, I'm worried about missed time. Everyone else on this list, I'm not so sure. At Draymond at 50 to one is interesting. I think I would have liked that better if Clay was healthy, just because you'd have like the full Warriors, and I think you know the the narrative would kind of be there for Draymond. Like if he if he came back and even had like a pretty good season. And the Warriors had, were like the two seed in the West. I feel like there'd be a lot of momentum. You know, the Draymond is back narrative would be out in full force, but I don't really feel that way now. I, I don't think it's really worth betting on any guards at all. Uh, I mean, and I don't know if we really consider Simmons a guard. I, I think he's big enough and unique enough that he could win it. But 
like no guard ever wins this award and it's pretty rare for a wing even to win it at this point yeah simmons is probably the only quote-unquote guard i would bet on to win i think marcus smart has potential but again if the celtics are Mm -hmm. if they if they lose four wins um or you know uh, you know prorated to like the 72 game season or whatever um it's going to be tough if they aren't better or just as good as they were last year and and I mean, he get. I mean, if he plays 35 minutes, he'll he'll pull up a ton of defensive stats. Right. It's just the team success. Well, the biggest thing is either averaging a ton of blocks or a ton of steals. And right. yeah, every year you have somebody average like three blocks a game. But nobody gets to three steals. So you would need like oh. you would need like Matisse Thybul, who's 80 to one. If he averaged like 3.5 steals a game, I think maybe that would do it. Um, the problem is he's not going to get there. And like if 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 a team defense is really good, it's the big man who always gets credit, right? You know, it's never like the the ace defensive shooting guard who who gets all the credit. So like, I, it's just so hard for a guard. You, you can't have like an explosive defensive season as a shooting guard. Right. Last season, uh, Ben Simmons led the league steals per game at 2.1. Chris Dunn was the only other player in the league who averaged over two steals a game that qualified. Um, Real KD. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Simmons also averaged half a block. Um, but again, that's not that's not all that's indicative because Drummond, Andre Drummond averaged 1.9 steals at 1.6 blocks last year. So, yeah, the voters are getting a little smarter. I mean, Drummond would be like a six time defensive player of the year if, if this was like the 80s. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if Chris Dunn is even on this list. If he's not, that's a, a huge oversight. I don't know uh, if there's a field option either. I'm trying. Not, I'm not seeing. Yeah, I don't think he is. No, I control. That's, I control F. He's not on there. Unfreaking believable. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's look at MVP real quick. We got sure. about uh, about a minute left. Uh, so I just I just want to hear from you. Who right now? You can consider the odds if you want, uh, or just make a pick. Uh, who who does your gut tell you is going to win the MVP in 2021? I like Doncic at plus 450. It's the same odds as Giannis. Um, Porzingis is going to be out for the beginning of the year. So Doncic is probably going to put up huge numbers. And if they can make the playoffs, um, especially with, with Porzingis missing time, I mean, he's going to, I think he'll have a monster year, obviously. I'm with you. It it feels like Giannis would really have to outdo himself again. And I I think the bigger factor working against him is like, I wouldn't say people have turned on Giannis, but, and that's not the case at all. But, but I think after this past flame out, He's, he no longer gets the benefit of the doubt, you know, like I, yeah. I think he could have another monster regular season and I don't think it would compel people the same way that these last two have. Uh, so he, he has to like really top what he's done the last couple of years. And that's possible if he plays more minutes. Um, but yeah, I love Doncic. It's, it's hard to really go away from that. I, I don't really see it happening for Curry. I don't think LeBron's going to try or play enough games. You know, I'd, I'd like Durant at 15 to 1, as I've said a couple of times. I, I think there's a narrative there. Uh, if he plays enough games and if the Nets win enough games, um, that he would win like a dual MVP comeback player of the year type of thing. Um, but yeah, Dur- Durant and Dodgich, I think, are the, the ways I would I would lean uh, if I were a betting man. Yeah, for, for longer shots, I like Lillard and Tatum at 20 to 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just hard. Like, with the MVP, it's like it's never a guy who's like 100 to one to begin the year. It's like it's almost always one of the three or four favorites. And, and that's typically how it goes. All right. We're out of time. Alex, we'll be back uh, either later this week or early next week to keep previewing the NBA season three weeks away.